I actually think I never sold rugs. I maybe sold the impact of Persian rugs in your home. You know, when you buy a tie, you never buy a tie. You buy how you look with the tie. Welcome to the Vialize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vialize Venture Capital, a seed stage fund and pre-seed angel investing community open to everyone. On today's episode, we have Pejman Nazad, the co-founder and founding managing partner of Pair VC. Over the past two decades, he has been a seed investor in some of the most iconic tech companies, including DoorDash and Dropbox and Garden Health and many more. He is also included in the Forbes Midas list of the world's best venture capital investors in 2021 and 2022. And we get into his incredible story in this episode. Let's dive in. Pejman, welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Justin, it's so nice. It's so nice to be here and thank you for the invitation. I'm excited. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. I think it's tempting to not cover your story because we've talked about it a lot, but I know people are going to hear this and haven't heard your background, and it's probably one of the most incredible stories in venture. So we have to start there. How did you get into venture in the first place, Peshman? <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it. I just think like this is repeated stories, but that's that's fun for me to share it. Yeah, man, venture capitalist not by design. I I grew up in Iran during the war and revolution, so the next the first fifteen years of post-revolution was was tough time. So I think that made me really strong to really cope with what has happened there. And then I started uh, to play soccer. I, I hosted Iran's most popular radio talk show when I was 17, 18, exactly what you do today. And then I uh, went to university. I dropped school and I ended up going to Germany because my parents lived there to continue my education and, and play soccer. But, you know, my brother who left Iran before me forced me to go to U.S. Embassy, and I didn't have any plan to come to America. But, you know, somehow the counselor, like me, gave me a visa to come to U.S. So I came here in 1992 with literally no plan. I just came here to this town called St. Carlos, because my uncle used to live there. And I didn't speak one word English. I had $700. And, um, you know, but you do these things in your early 20s, and you don't assess any risk. Anyway, actually, that $700 was gone because I actually was in love with, in a, with a girl in Iran. And I thought, so I'm going to lose her now. It's so the best way. Just call her. And you know, at that time, there was no WhatsApp, no internet phone. I had to go to every day to pay phone in downtown. It was a pay phone in downtown San Carlos. And I don't know, it was like 4 or $5 per minute. So I, I had this bag of quarters every day going to call her. So the money was gone. And you know, what do you do? You don't speak the language and you, you want to work. So I ended up um, getting a job in San Jose, but my first job was working in a car wash. I bought a 1973 Chevy for five payments of 150 bucks because I didn't have money. So I was driving every day from San Carlos to San Jose, washing cars and come back. But you know, I think I'm the best car washer the world has ever seen. I, nobody <laughs> washed cars like me. And, you know, I, I was doing that, going to college every night and I ended up getting a job at the yogurt shop here in Redwood City. And I ran out of money. I slept in the car. I slept in the street. And I slept in the attic of the yogurt shop. So for a few months, I lived above the yogurt shop in an attic, which was like the storage, very low ceiling, no windows. Uh, there's a photo of me. If you look at my Twitter feed, <laughs> photo up there. Yep. Is on that 
Anyway, I, I, wake, I, I was waking up every morning, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., working in the yogurt shop, going to college again at night. And, you know, one of those nights I saw an advertising for the Persian rug gallery in downtown Palo Alto. Um, like this type of Persian rug. This is actually 130 years old carpet. Um, oh, wow. And then I ended up to get that job over there. And again, little by little, I became a really good rug salesman. And one year, I remember I sold couple of million dollars worth of rugs. I mean, even our majority of our software companies cannot achieve that in the short period of time we did it. And, you know, Persian rugs, you typically come to the gallery and say, Paige, when I bought a home in Palo Alto and I'm looking for a rug for my living room. So we start to look at rugs and then we bring all of those rugs to your home. By going to people's home, I, you know, used to spend a couple of hours with them and their families, their spouses, their partners and children. And I realized few years into it, they're all venture capitalists, founders of tech companies, and I decided I want to be one of them. Um, you know, I was very lucky because I had this access to the most elite people in tech that normally you cannot see them, but I was hanging out with them Sunday afternoon at their home, doing barbe- barbecue while selling Persian rugs. <laughs> and I realized this network has a huge value, and, you know, I convinced the owner of the rug gallery to partner with me to start our own investment firm, which was Angel Investing, because I didn't have money. Um, for me, was I knew I wanted to play NBA, but I never become LeBron James. But I can be the best agent, so I knew the network has a lot of value. So I started to put a lot of networking events at the Rug Gallery. I remember once I brought the entire Sequoia's senior partnership with hundred entrepreneurs around Persian food. This is late nineties. That none of these things that you see today existed. There was no TechCrunch, no Y Combinator. So it was very refreshing for people to see this community building. And we started to invest to startups and, you know, we made terrible investments to begin with. <laughs> but I was very lucky to meet some really exceptional founders early on. And, you know, fast forward, I ended up being the first investor in Dropbox, Gusto, and, and so on. So I made money. I started to do angel investing full time. So I pause here before I get to the venture business and how I got to the venture business and I started Pear. Um, but I, I pause here. So this was, a, this was a summary of 20 years. There's a lot there that I want to unpack. And I've heard versions of that and certain questions I have. My brain goes to certain things that I always am curious about. First being, where did that work ethic come from for you? Did you always have that? Was it just like survival you had to? I've heard that story and I've always been curious, like, where did that come from for you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just part of me. I always want to win. I always, you know, I play soccer <laughs> on the streets and, you know, at the same time, and you are 12, 13, 14, 15 years old and war and planes come every night to bomb your city. Just you develop a kind of different mindset. I actually think when you see the dark side of humanity, everything else has a different perspective. And you realize opportunities and you, 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 you live in a different view of the world. So I've seen that being a, a teenager in Iran. And I think the work ethic is, I, I think it's something that you, you don't learn that they just do it. But for me, it was, yeah. you know, the ability to, to do something for myself or my, my family and build kind of extraordinary life of whatever I can do. You had a unique situation, obviously, having these relationships with people who are very prominent in the industry at the earliest of stages uh, in your career as well. But a lot of people, when they have these opportunities, don't act on it necessarily. They don't change careers completely. They don't do this thing. What compelled you 
to even want that in terms of seeing what they were doing. You knew all these people in tech and like CEOs and, and VCs at the top, but like you were selling rugs. What compelled you to be like, I want that. Like, I'm just so curious about that. Cause I don't, I haven't heard enough of you talk about That's that. Side a good of it. Question. I think I was amazed by who they are. Not, not necessarily because how wealthy they were, obviously big homes, they can afford expensive rugs. But for me until then business was you build like this and you sell it, you build furniture, you sell it. I never knew you can build so much based on knowledge and create so much wealth and jobs and, you know, change society. And, I felt that it's a very unique opportunity in my life and I can play a role, but I wasn't afraid to be part of the community, which is well-guarded. Um, and, and the second thing, I think, credit to the culture of Silicon Valley, no one never judged me of an outsider, so they welcomed me. Um, you know, part of it is I, I have a, you know, a very genuine desire to get to know people um, and I always people mix this with networking, which I think it's a, it's a wrong way to look at building relationship. Some people think networking is a task you work. And then after five o'clock, you just go network, but I think it has to be part of you, part of your life. And it has to be very authentic. I, I really like to get to know people and that, that actually gave me an ability to get to know my customers who ended up being venture capitalists and later on. I either in, co-invested in them in Dropbox or actually now recruited them, recruited them to become the CTO of my portfolio company. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's the, the, the really the ability to create so much value based on knowledge and be able to impact society and future for everyone was like for me, it, it was it was astonishing. Yeah, what a time to be in that environment at that age, obviously, uh, where people you knew from the rug shop were going, I mean, they're top of their game. I'm curious with that too. One thing I just can't gloss over because I'm just actually fascinated by, you mentioned you sold like $8 million worth of rugs, which is kind of insane. Like, that's a lot. Why Why did you excel at that so much? What, were you just like good at selling in terms of relationships? Did you play different than the other people? Like, I'm curious. Yeah, I, I, I actually think I never sold rugs. I maybe sold the impact of Persian rugs in your home. You know, <laughs> when you buy a tie, you never buy a tie. You buy how you look with the tie. Um, so the actual tie is not as important as how you look with the tie. Um, so I actually did the same thing with rugs. And it comes really naturally to me that, yes, you can give a lot of information about Persian rugs, what they are and how they are made and the value but at the end of the day, people really want a beautiful home with Persian rugs. And that's how I did it. And yeah, I, I think, you know, those millions worth of rug selling was at the peak of the dot-com bubble also for <laughs> credit to the market as well. We'll take, we'll take that. One thing I'm curious about with your, your journey and everything as well, I know there's this gap of like, it, you decide to get into this angel investing world and startups and that's maybe around 2000 or so. And then if you look at when Pear started, I guess it wasn't called Pear at the time, but 2013 or something. So it's this long time of you investing and learning and all this stuff, which I want to get into in a second. But in the earliest days of you starting to angel invest, why were people taking you seriously, letting you invest all of these things? I'm curious about that in the earliest stages. Yeah, I think if you look at this market, there's two sides, entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. I had a, 
a very close relationship with top venture capitalists. And I started to develop relationships with entrepreneurs. Obviously, when we started to invest people, there were not many angel investors in town. I think Ron Conway was like hmm. really the pioneer of angel investing at that time. So, you know, I realized there is a there is a value for connecting entrepreneurs to venture capitalists in the right way and entrepreneurs to executives and, and other founders. So many of my customers who became my friends were founders or CTOs of top tech companies and they became advisors to these entrepreneurs. So I think building that relationship and, you know, creating that that match was really magical. And, you know, entrepreneurs realize through me, they can get access to some really amazing people and venture capitalists realize, you know, I have a really good deal flow. And, and I think that's how I started it. But obviously, when you spend a lot of time in any kind of business, you can learn it. And, you know, little by little, I learned the world around me that how a startup works, um, who are the players and what kind of entrepreneurs I want to work with. I know you said at that time there wasn't, you know, the same type of tools we have today in terms of connecting with people, this virtual world and like uh, even like YC and all these other things weren't there. Different time back then. Would you have done it the same? I mean, today in terms of, you know, building genuine relationships with people, obviously you were in like the perfect environment <laughs> in Silicon Valley, which was great. But like even for someone today who like wants to get into investing, a lot of times it's like these underrepresented uh, investors who like want to invest in their community or other people like who are not getting the dollars typically. But like how would you look at that today in terms of building relationships and networks in the world we now live in with different tools available, with different things out there? I'm just curious on how you would approach that. Yeah, I think you have more tools to expand it, both online and offline. You know, even today, Payer has done over 100 events every year, and these events, four people or 400 people. So we do the same thing, but we expanded offline, I mean, online using video conferencing. Um, I think you can do both. I don't think doing one of them is enough. Uh, but the most important thing you should you should be able to love what you do, which is, you know, creating a platform. Say it that you are you're really enjoying bringing people together, and it has to be very authentic, very genuine. Um, I would have. I mean, today I think there are more tools. Obviously. Um, it's overdone. You have to be really careful about how you bring community together and how you foster it and you grow it. And, you know, we always at Pair, we're building, we have built a very active, engaged <laughs> community. Um, so there is more Definitely. tools today, but at the same time, there are more competition. People are, you know, over, over um, you know, this, this networking or events kind of overuse or so many of them. So you need to be very careful and where is your value and how do you want to build that relationship with your network? So back then, then in 2000, you decided to get angel investing. You're doing this this thing for a while before you actually launch uh, Pair, which is actually Pejman Mar at the time. Take me through that that time in that like decade plus, uh, you learning and building relationships. Like, How are you going about doing that in terms of the growth and things you were learning at that time to become a sure. better investor? Yeah. I'm curious. So I made money and I started to do kind of angel investing full time. And 2010, I realized I'm in, I'm on the cap table of the company, let's say raised a million dollar. And I was an angel investing and I saw a couple of other VC funds have invested a few hundred thousand dollars, but entrepreneurs are left alone right after raising a million dollar, especially first time entrepreneurs. And um, I, I felt there's an opportunity to build an institution to serve founders at the earliest stages. 
And the question was, can I walk to a garage full of founders and claim I'm your best partner? The answer was no, because, you know, I, I had a great track record. Everybody knew me. I knew how the whole system works, but I never built in cheap product. And I, I knew in order to be successful for a firm like what I had imagined I want to build, you need to have that DNA. So I reached out to my current partner, Mar Hershenson, in 2009-10. We actually know each other for 22 years. I funded her husband, uh, Matt Hershenson, in 2000, a company called Danger. And then I funded Mars Company, second company in 2003. Um, it, it's actually, I syndicated a $2.5 million round in 2004, 2003, 2004. And, you know, going back to that time, we had to go to people's home, making, you know, pitches at people's home in Palo Alto and take actual check, go <laughs> deposit. Today, you go on... Angel list, you create a syndicate, you click a button, you get the money. Uh, so things has changed. So throughout that process, I really got to know Mar and we built a great relationship. And, you know, it took me four years to convince her. So we, and she was the only person I ever talked to to start the firm. And uh, if she if would have said no, I would have not done it. Um, in 2013, 12, 13, I changed strategy. I said, Mar, instead of, um, why did you come and join me at Coupa Cafe and, you know, just provide advice to entrepreneurs. And she said, fine. So she came 30 minutes, 45 minutes a day. And then three months down the road, she was full-time meeting entrepreneurs. So I won and we partnered in 2013. We want to build the best seed fund ever existed. We want to build the firm that outlasts two of us. Um, from day one, we actually very complimentary team, but we are kind of yin and yang. I'm a college dropout. She's a Stanford PhD professor at Stanford. She started three companies. She has 14 patents. I have zero patents. I never worked actually for a tech company. But I had a lot of scars on my body as an angel investor. So, And then we have an utmost respect for each other's opinion. So since then, you know, Pair is growing. We're 20 people. Fund One is top 1% performing fund. Um, and we are closing Fund Four. And it's just growing. We've, I think we... After nine and a half years, almost 10 years, we, we reached our own product market fit in the market. Now it's time to really build the infrastructure and the team. So Pair, in a nutshell, is specializing in pre-seed and seed, and that's what we do. Going back to one thing you mentioned there, four years to convince Mar to join you. What, what, like Why that long? What was her hesitation? What were you trying along the way? Well, like I, I wanted want to have a, a really exceptional entrepreneurs with great experience in being technical. So I think she checked Mark, but more importantly, you know, similar characteristic of really good for people, good with people, doing it for the right cause, give it giving back to the, the community we were part of it. And you know, that trust was always there. So it's really hard to build partnership for like decades if you don't know each other really well and i i felt we know each other very well and um yeah i think it was it was just either with her or i don't start the firm you had a lot of experience obviously going even before then you have invested in a lot of companies at that point in time going into that when you started with her take me through raising that first fund though because a lot of that if you haven't raised the fund before one you don't like what what are you getting into? It's a little bit different, but then raising maybe from uh, angels as a founder and you didn't do that, you were investing. Take me through even raising that first fund. How was that? Uh, I'm curious about that experience for you. Yeah, I, I, it wasn't easy. One, um, you know, both of us don't come from venture capital background. Obviously I was an angel investor. She was an entrepreneur. So 
convincing we are doing something. It takes time. Luckily, there were a lot of co-investors with me throughout my angel investing life that they invested with, with me, which are mostly individuals. And then what we did, I think, that helped us, that Mar and I started to do angel investing together. We built a portfolio of six companies before we started the firm. And that was a really really good portfolio to show that we can work together. We pick really good companies. Mm -hmm. These are the co-investors. And then we started to really think about how differentiated we are. And one of the things we want to do was really helping students start companies. So we started at Stanford. We built a couple of programs. And that really helped us to convince some institution, which was very hard to partner with us, Fund One. In that process of raising for Fund One, then, did you know... I'm just curious the direction because you have an idea when you start this of like, we want to build like the best seed stage venture, early stage venture fund, essentially. You know, you're raising these, these LPs in fund one that in theory, if you get institutions that are right ones, they can be institutions for the rest of your funds in theory. Were you thinking about that already in that fund one? Do you know like, okay, we're going to start at this size, then this size? I'm just curious on how much you had no, kind of mapped I, out. No, I didn't know. We actually thought we need to raise $25 million. And then after getting to $20 million or 25, we realized I knew that we need to keep a lot of reserve for the winners, given mm. the background of the angel investing. So we realized it's become short. So we we pick fifty million dollars. That's that's one thing. Um, I knew from the beginning I want to build community. If Stanford Business School teaches a case about us, and the email I sent Mar very first time, it's there in two thousand ten. And the idea was getting a home next to Stanford invite some of the best students to either live and work in that home and invest in the best one. So it was kind of the genesis of the whole idea to build community with Stanford students because I funded students at Stanford to build multi-billion dollar companies. And obviously Mar was, she started her company while getting her PhD. So the idea, it, it wasn't as specific that today with all of the programs we had, but generally was let's start, let's focus on a community that has shown historically great companies come out of that community, which, which are students, in particular, Stanford. So that's how we started. That's how we pitched it. That's how we built programs. For for the, the, the first five years of, of Pair, everybody knew that, everybody knew us as the firm that does only Stanford students. It, it, it's not true. We did it many other people like you know, college dropout, people who didn't go to elite school and so on. But th that was kind of the um, the focus to begin with. But now we expanded everywhere. So I think for anybody who wants to start a firm, I think there are a few things you need to really work on at one. How are you differentiated with anybody else? Mm -hmm. And I think it has to be very crystal clear. A little bit different is, is not enough. Then you need to work on your sourcing. So what is what kind of playbook you have? I think the era of being part of the small community or going to conferences or tweet a little bit is gone. You need to have an exceptional differentiated playbook for sourcing. Then it comes to the question that you have the ability to pick winners early. And the third and most important thing, how do you help companies? I wake up every morning and think about why entrepreneurs should take money from pair. I need to have a great answer for it, that how do you help portfolio companies and why they should take your money? I've seen a lot of managers or partners, they start and think about one or two of these, not the third one, but you need to be good at all three of them consistently over decades. This has been a number of years already with Pair. Today, what is the answer to that question in terms of why entrepreneurs work with Pair? 
Yeah, I think we are pre-seed and seed specialists. That's the only thing we do. Investment team have started and sold 10 companies. So we have, my partners have started and sold companies to Cisco, Yahoo, Instacart, uh, Zynga, you name it. So we have that entrepreneurship DNA. Historically, we have been the first investor in some of the most iconic tech companies, including DoorDash, Dropbox, Gusto, AppLovin, SoundHound, Lending Club, you name it. So a lot of history, what we have seen. And on top of it, we have built a platform to help entrepreneurs. For example, we have a recruiting agency inside Pair that if you come to Pair, we hire your first and second engineers for free. And this is led by former head of global talent of Instacart, who took the company to 3,000 people. Um, (laughs) So we have a team of four recruiters in-house that if you don't do anything for you, we hire your engineers. And then ability to, to really... You know, for example, companies that we lead precede and seed, 72% of them have raised Series A. The average is 42%, so they are, it's really high. So, um, yes, yeah, combination of the team, the platform, the know-how, and the experience that we have. Was that for you, in terms of thinking about the platform side of it, which is a very important piece, you have some unlike the the benchmarks of the world who don't really have anything for platform side necessarily. You have ACCZ doing a ton on platform, massive teams. Did you always know that in terms of what you wanted to offer, that was going to be an important piece of pair for your organization? Not at the beginning. At the beginning, I think it, when we started almost 10 years ago, it wasn't like this. So it was really the back of my experience investing in Morris and Entrepreneur. And then we built it up mm. with sourcing platform. So for years was how do we build sourcing platform? And if you go on, on, on our website, we have obviously Dorm, our actively programs at university. We have female engineers circles, which is targeting female engineers. We have product managers summit. We have PhD summit. So we have built this kind of playbook, how to, how to partner with entrepreneurs before anybody else. So the sourcing part, we spend a lot of time. Then we realize entrepreneurs request need more than capital and know-how guidance. They want to hire engineers. They want to introduction to your first 10 customers. They want understanding go-to-market strategy. They want to access for software. Then we decided to build this slowly. And now we build the recruiting agency in-house. We're building the go-to-market. We have a software team. They're building software. So um, that's pair. I think in the venture capital business, there is not one way you could do this business. I think you could do pair way. You can do Sequoia. You can do Y Combinator. You can do the benchmark way to do it. The most important thing, whatever strategy you take, you have to focus on it and become the best in the world at it. Um, if you become the second version of whatever exists, you won't become an exceptional fund. So I don't think there is one model that works. It's the variety of different models that work for different managers and different strategies. With what Pair is doing in your model that you just mentioned, what do you think is the, the ultimate in terms of being the best in the world at it, what this looks like? Ideally, you mentioned, you know, multi-generational organization you're starting here with Pair. Like, what does that look like eventually, you think? Yeah, we want to be obviously the amazing performing fund in terms of the return of capital to our LPs, which I talk about it. But we want to be a global platform that takes ideas to product market fit, which is in VC language is from pre-seed and seed to series A. That's where I think there's a big opportunity. No one owns it. If, if I ask you which firm is the best pre-seed and seed firm in the world, there's no answer. And we are not there yet. Our aspiration is to become that, that firm. So really, people who have an idea or prototype think of Pair of the first destination that they can help you to get the product market fit. 
are there others that you're like, okay, I just want to give some props to because they're just that good at pre-seed and seed. I just, you said no standout in terms of the best per se. There's obviously good ones. Well, they are, they're great, amazing. I think there's, of course, no, of course. <laughs> there's no one firm. Everybody says this is the best mm. firm that does these things. People have sure. different ideas. Um, yeah. you know, people say first round might be a great one over mm. there or some people pick another firm to do it. Some people say, no, the multi-stage firm, Sequoia and this and Horowitz of the world have a great seed practice to do it. So, it's a different opinion on that. I think um, I think it, we have an opportunity to become the number one over there, and and I think the only way we could do it is just prove it in our um, in our performance. I think you can say whatever. In, in our business, it's very <laughs> very easy to measure your 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 success is just the performance yep. of the fund. Nothing else matters. You can you can build all the platform in the world. You can have all the content in the world. You can be shining in any conferences at the end the performance matters and that's something it's very clear what you see on the paper that how much money you have returned to our lps we can't uh not talk about how you analyze founders so i want to go through that next because you have so much experience in terms of doing this and i know you mentioned in like other podcasts how some of your first investments were just like terrible in terms of picking uh some of your earlier ones way back in the day how are you analyzing founders today you're like you're decades in now You've had a lot of experience. What are you looking for? Yeah, so, and this is not only me, Pair, as, as a team. We want to work with entrepreneurs who have um, obviously committed to be entrepreneur. Um, people who have deep relationship with the market and the problem they're solving. Either they have lived through that problem or they have academic background. So, uh, and they're very articulate about the problem exists, the market exists, and they are the best person in the world who can solve this problem. That's one. Um, we like founding teams who have chemistry and relationship with each other. So people who either work at the same company or they do rock climbing every weekend or they went to some high school, they play basketball. Just that chemistry is very important. Um, we, we are looking for founders who have, can attract talents very important to see, can you attract the best talents in the world? Uh, we like, I like founders who are paranoid in a healthy way, it means <laughs> they have this vision where they go, but they question themselves. So they always want to improve. Uh, we like captains of the ship, you know, captains of the ship leave last. They, they really believe their customer, their team, it, it's beyond themselves. Uh, if these are check marks, then we look at the size of the market and how big this company can become. Given that, we still make mistakes by not getting of to course. know the founders <laughs> easily and then, you know, overlook. And I think the best founders are the ones who really articulate the vision that you never thought of it. They're just creating a future that is exciting and they can clearly explain that. You have so much of a, a, a presence from in, in person early on and growing. And as you, said, as you said, there's a lot of like now virtual things happening. People had to like kind of invest the first time, all this virtual stuff. How do you look at that? Uh, virtual versus in-person, evaluating founders, wanting to have time with them in person, spend time with them in person versus like just on Zoom. Like how have you thought about that in terms of how a pair operates? Yeah, I, I think keeping, you know, the video conferencing give us an opportunity to expand our horizon and interact with a lot of founders versus for the founders, the same thing. You can interact with a lot of VCs, but eventually we all, especially these days, we request that we meet them in person. I think you get to know the founders even over a walk or 
you know, I tell you, you get to know so much about the founder, anyone who, how do you say thank you to a server at lunch? It's very telling. Um, so we spend a lot of time getting to know the founders and obviously we meet them over Zoom to begin with. But at the end of the day, if you want to partner for the next 10, 20 years, it's worth to get together for a few hours. Today, this okay, so pair is almost it's coming up in a decade of pair plus more angel investing. What fuels you today, Pejmont? I mean, you've you've done a lot already in the industry. Obviously, you're continuing on. Payer is doing great. Uh, just what drives you at this point uh, in your career, in your life, in this phase with Payer? I'm curious about that. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I'm really grateful and honored to have this opportunity to learn from entrepreneurs. So every day you wake up and you you see you know amazing entrepreneurs who educate you about particular sector. So the learning curve is amazing, but I think this is just the beginning of here. We have an opportunity to build an extraordinary firm who can do two things. One, help entrepreneurs build really defining category, defining companies that can um, really create a better future for all of us and our children. So maybe a very, very tiny, small part of in the future. That's very exciting. And second, you know, majority of our LPs, over 80% or 85% are nonprofit organization. These are firefighters, family endowments, people who make home for homeless people, cancer researchers, foundations, which are sending underserved children to school. So that responsibility, it's, it's enormous, but at the same time, is very fulfilling. You came to U.S. from Iran you know, years ago. Is that something you look for in terms of uh, immigrant founders and supporting them and how you can help them as well as, because you have that, that history and you can relate to it so well. I'm just curious on anything on that you try to also use it here. No, I, I, obviously being an immigrant is like being a founder. You come here, you don't know the language or maybe you know the language. <laughs> you survive with limited resources. That's what founders sure. do. But not specifically, we look at only our immigrant. I think there are pretty amazing people here that have grown up here in Palo Alto or in Los Angeles or New York and Dallas. And, you know, they're pretty exceptional. So we don't look for any particular founders with any particular background. We just look for the best people who are the best at what they do and the best people in particular company they can start. We're almost done here. I'm just curious, any, any last parting words for founders who are considering Pair uh, working with you, Why know more about the team, anything else you want to share with them? Yeah. I mean, first of all, we just launched a new website. There's so much information. I think we <laughs> actually have a page called Why Pair. I encourage you to read it. It just explains in detail um, why we should partner with you. But in the world of too much capital, everything's going on. I think if I was a founder, I look for, for the team who have the background of helping founders get to product market fit and they have historical track record to show that repeatedly have done this thing. So I think Perry is very much qualified to be the best partner for entrepreneurs at the earliest stages. Pajman, where's the best place for people to get in touch with uh, Pear, connect with you if they'd like to as well? Yeah, my email is pajman at pear.vc. You can always reach out to me and... We have a beautiful new office next to Stanford. It used to be a, a beloved burger shop for Stanford students. We turned it to an, to an amazing office. So you won't miss it. If you drive on El Camino, you always see our sign. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate it. It was great. And you know, I love what you do. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.